Good morning, everybody, and a very happy new year. It's that time of year we get a lot of people traveling, uh, some longer than expected. We talked about a little bit about God's providence and planning in Bruce's class this morning, which was excellent. And we know that there are things about God's character that never change, but Southwest Airlines' schedule certainly does. And so uh, some people got stuck places. We got a lot of people gone for that reason. We got a lot of people still battling illness right now, but I am so happy that you are here with us this morning, and everybody joining us online, uh, thank you for that as well. Uh, we got some visitors here this morning, and you are our honored guests. We are so grateful that you took time to be with us uh, as well. May God bless you and keep you in this new year, and I'm so excited for what God might have in store for us as we seek diligently to do his will and serve him in his kingdom, and I'm glad to be on that journey alongside with you. This morning, we are going to talk about being reconciled or reconciliation. But before we get into the lesson this morning, there's something I want to share with you. It's that time of year when people might be making plans or setting resolutions for the next year. Um, I am not naive enough to set resolutions for you since I can't keep the ones that I make. Uh, I think if I did my math correctly, if I had kept every resolution I've made over the last I don't know, 20 years that we've been married, I would have lost somewhere around 890 pounds at this point in time. So I'm not going to make a resolution for you, but I do want to suggest something to you, and that it's that you make daily Bible reading habitual in your life, either on your own or with your spouse or with your family. If that's not already a spiritual discipline that you are engaged in, I want to strongly encourage you to make it one. Just Google daily Bible reading plans and you will find a plethora, one of my favorite words, of options available to you. I want to make a recommendation. If you don't already have a daily Bible reading plan, you can start today. And one of my favorite places to send people is uh, to the uh, Bible Project. So if you just go to BibleProject.com, some of you are familiar with them, some of you aren't. I love what they do. That does not mean I endorse every single thing they've ever said, let me be clear. But I do love what they do. Uh, they have some Bible reading programs uh, that they will walk you through that I think are very valuable. One of them, if you go to their website, so BibleProject.com, upper right-hand corner is their search bar. You just type in daily Bible reading. You will find a bunch of options. One of them is something they call one story that leads to Jesus. The reason I like it is because it incorporates not just a daily Bible reading plan, but their video series into the plan, which is just another tool that you can use to help you come to terms with the overarching story of Scripture from garden to garden, or as the way they put it, the story that leads us ultimately to Jesus and through Jesus to God. And so that's just my recommendation for you this morning. I hope that you will consider that and make daily Bible reading part of your life uh, this year. So reconciliation. I've been thinking a lot about this. Not just the word, but vocabulary in general. One of the blessings we have in Southern California is that we are truly a melting pot of peoples, right? You probably have neighbors that are from other parts of the world. Um, with that comes challenges in communication. I am constantly thinking about that because a Midwesterner, I like to talk rapidly. It's one of, the, one of the ways I get through my lesson. Some of you commented on my sermons are a little longer. Believe me, if I talked like I was from the South, they'd be like three times as long, okay? So be glad that I talk quickly. But I understand that when I'm you know, talking quickly through things, for those that are among us that aren't 
native English speakers, there's a challenge in that, trying to, to come to terms with vocabulary, and especially Bible vocabulary. There are words that we use in the context of the church. We take for granted how foreign these words are to some people's ears. If you did not grow up in a Christian environment, and if you're not already intimately familiar with the words of Scripture, they're words that we use all the time that make no sense to some people. Uh, words that people sometimes refer to as biblish. You know, they're our own kind of jargon. They're words that make sense to us, but don't make sense to other people. Reconciliation, I think, is one of those words. There's a whole bunch of Asian words in the scripture, like uh, condemnation, reconciliation, justification, salvation, uh, propitiation, right? These are big words. They have meanings, and they're embedded with meaning because of the story the Bible is telling. But apart from the Bible... They're kind of complicated. And so I want to take one of those vocabulary words today and do kind of a word study. Not just to help us intellectually understand the word better, but because this is going to set the groundwork for something we're going to do over the next several weeks, which was talk about the nature of the church that we are a part of. Not the Mission Viejo Church of Christ, but the body of Christ that we are a part of. Because I believe that that is a beautiful thing. I think it's a powerful thing, and I think it's one of the greatest blessings that we can count as followers of Christ is that he has put us into his body, and I want to talk about what that means and what that looks like and the vision that accompanies our understanding of what the body of Christ is. So let's start this morning with a conversation about reconciliation. What does the word mean? A couple things, first of all. Number one, it's used exclusively by Paul in the New Testament. It's a word that he likes to use. He doesn't use it often, but when he does, it's in the context of some of the most important things he says about our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. The word itself is getting across the idea of repairing a broken relationship. Where there was strife and enmity, there is now something else in its place, and we'll talk about what that is in just a few minutes. But it's talking about a relationship that's broken being repaired. That's what reconciliation is all about. A change in, in, in a relationship from hostility to peace. So where you have a fractured relationship, putting that relationship back together is what reconciliation is all about. Let's see how Paul uses it in context in just one place, because I think this is a great example of how he uses it. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. In that chapter, Paul is answering the church in Corinth's questions about marriage specifically, and we're not going to go into a deep dive on marriage and all the thing that, things that Paul talks about in that chapter, but quickly, he says this, to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord, the wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. What happens when two people married together start to experience conflict and fractions within that marriage. What do you do as Christ followers? And Paul's saying, well, what you don't do is you don't just leave each other forever. What you do do is you can either remain separated or ideally do what? Be reconciled to one another. That you work towards healing that fractured relationship. Marriage in scriptures talked about as what? The two becoming, anybody? One flesh, right? What happens when that one flesh is torn apart? 
Well, there's a fracture that exists there that shouldn't be there. And so how is it going to come back together? That process of healing, making that fractured flesh one flesh again, that is reconciliation. And that's what Paul is talking about here. So he uses that word. And I think it helps us come to terms with how Paul intends to use it. The idea that there's a relationship that's vital, that relationship is suffering, it's broken, it's falling apart. And the act of reconciliation is the act of bringing that broken relationship back together. It's a healing act. But here's the thing. The way that Paul uses it here and the way that we normally use this word when we talk about reconciliation, even if you're not using that exact word, but the idea of bringing broken relationships back together, almost exclusively when we use that word, we mean it like this. Okay? And a marriage is a great example. Let's say a husband has wronged his wife. And now the marriage is suffering. For reconciliation to take place, the way that we understand that process is that the burden of reconciliation lies on the shoulders of which person? The one who has committed the wrong, right? So in that case, the husband who has wronged his wife, it is his responsibility, it is his burden to bear to bring about reconciliation. He has to be the one to initiate healing in that relationship because he's the one that caused the fracture to begin with. You understand what I'm saying? And so that's the way we typically use that word. The beautiful thing about the way Paul goes on to use it in regard to our relationship with God is that he means something totally different. And so let's talk about that. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, if you'll turn over there with me. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Let's look at one of the places Paul talks about this idea of reconciliation. And let's look at how different it is from the way that we normally understand this. So in Romans chapter 5, Paul writes this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop right there. We have what? Peace with God. What does reconciliation produce? It produces peace. So where there once was hostility and enmity, there now in its place is peace. This is what reconciliation produces brings about. I want you to think about reconciliation as a position that we find ourselves in. If you survey the rest of chapter 5, we're not going to get into it this morning, but Paul uses Adam and Christ as examples of this relational status that we have, where we find ourselves positionally. You can either be in Adam, and in Adam you will find what? Separation from God and death, ultimately. Or you can be in Christ. And in Christ you find what? Relationship with God and life. You find peace there. So this whole conversation, reconciliation, what does it bring about? It brings about peace. But again, can we do that on our own? Is reconciliation something we initiate with God? Is it a work that he's asked us to undertake? We're the ones who wronged God. Is it up to us to fix that relationship? Well, listen to what Paul says. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. What an odd thing for someone to say. But this is a window into life that only Christ can offer us. We rejoice even in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love towards us that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What is Paul on about with all these big words? Simply this, when did Christ die for us? After we had made things right with him? After we had healed the fractured relationship? After we had earned his love back? No. While we were helpless, while we were weak, at the right time he died for us, which was when, according to Paul, we were still his what? Enemies. Reconciliation between man and God is not something we can do on our own. It is not a work he has given to us to accomplish. Reconciliation is what God does for us and in us and through us. God calls us back to him, but he is the one undergoing the work of reconciliation. We have wronged God. How have we wronged God? By doing what? By sinning. By going against his will. And all of us do it. All have fallen short of the glory of God, right? All of us. We've all fractured our relationship with God. And we are at enmity with God. There is now strife and hostility between ourselves and God. And that's the way we would remain if it were up to us because there's nothing we can do to sanctify ourselves. Nothing we can do to justify ourselves. Nothing we can do to bring that relationship back in harmony. But thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord that He has done that for us. Reconciliation belongs to God. And so in this way, Paul uses it in a surprising manner, in a way totally different than the way we would normally do it. If in a marriage, the husband wrongs the wife, it would be like the wife initiating reconciliation. That's not the way we think about it. You wronged me, you make it right. But we cannot do that with God. And so he makes it right for us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so reconciliation is the act of God bringing us back into relationship with him so that we can be at peace with him. So the first thing I want you to see about reconciliation, the way Paul uses it in scripture, is that it brings about peace, number one, between us and our father. We are at peace with God again because he has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. But the peace that we enjoy because of that reconciliation doesn't end in just a one-way relationship between ourselves and God. A community comes along with it. And so the second thing that happens through reconciliation is we're not only reconciled back to God, we're reconciled to each other. And this is not that the first part isn't beautiful. It's foundational to everything about who we are. This is, though, what I want to focus on this morning, the second part of reconciliation, the community that comes along with being part of God's reconciled people. So look at Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11. Paul again here, and this time he writes this. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that at one time you were separated from Christ. Think about, again, reconciliation in terms of position. Where did we used to be outside of Christ? We weren't a part of that covenant God made to Abraham and his descendants. So where did we find ourselves, those of us who are Gentiles according to the flesh? We were separated from Christ, 
We were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. We were without hope and without God in the world. What a great place to find yourself, huh? I mean, imagine the brochure for that destination. Okay, that's who we used to be, though, apart from Christ. Outside of Christ, that's the position we found ourselves in. But this is what happened, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, and again, think positionally, you who were once far off, separated from God. You who were once far off have been brought near, how? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace. And he has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now just pause for a second. We don't live in this world anymore. The one that they did in the first century. There was a, there was a, a major wall dividing two groups of people in the early church. You were either a Jew or you were a Gentile. And they came from a world where that wall was too big to climb over. There was a, a massive separation between two groups of people and they did not interact in meaningful ways when given the option. And Paul is not commending them for, oh, look how wonderful you are that you tore down this wall on your own and you overcame these divisions through your own efforts. Now, that's not how humans work, is it? We don't tear down walls. I mean, sometimes, right? Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. I mean, there are times in history when we've done that, but more often than not, humans are really good at doing what? Building walls between us, right? We come up with all kinds of reasons to be divided between ourselves, to create gaps between ourselves and our neighbors. Think about all the things that cause hostility between groups of people and individuals. Think about people maybe right now in your life. In your life right now, that you are experiencing hostility towards, or they are expressing hostility towards you. And think of those things that may have caused fractures in those relationships. This is what humans do. We find ways to divide ourselves. Paul is not saying, good on you, church in Ephesus. You finally figured out what nobody else could, and you tore down the wall on your own. That is not what he's talking about. He's talking about Christ doing for us what we could not do on our own. Jews and Gentiles are now one man, one new man, in one body, not because of what they accomplished on their own, but because of what Christ accomplished for them. And so he goes on. He says, he is our peace. He's made us both one, broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God, reconciles us to God, and thereby reconciles us together in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came near and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer aliens and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God." built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I want you to have this passage committed, maybe not just to memory, but to your heart. If you're one of those people that underlines in your Bible, I hope you'll underline the passage we just read, and I hope that you will make this passage something pivotal in your life this year as we endeavor together over the next few weeks to better understand the beauty and the depth of the community that we experience in Christ. Use this as a foundational passage. 
Something amazing has happened in this room. People from all walks of life, people from every corner of the world, people with different cultural backgrounds, people with all kinds of reasons to otherwise be divided have come together as one. And why have we done that? Because Christ has called us together. Because he has put us together in a body. He's done what we could not do on our own. Where we build walls, Christ tears them down. Listen, I've been very blessed in my life to experience communities in many different places. Uh, If you guys don't know this already, full disclosure, I'm a weirdo, strange dude. I've got a lot of hobbies I'm passionate about, and I've been able to build communities through some of those hobbies. And I can remember back in Wisconsin uh, being an avid member of a, a cycling racing club. I still have friendships with those people. They were wonderful people. They were warm, loving people. I'm grateful that God put them in my life, and their, their friendships with me are, are invaluable. I love them. Other passions and hobbies I have. Uh, you know, for a couple years I did summer art uh, galleries and festivals in Laguna Beach and building relationships with other artists, people that, again, I'm glad got them, God put them in my life. They mean a great deal to me. But throughout my life, my earliest memories, there's one community that has trumped them all, and it's this community, the community that we find in the body of Christ. My earliest memories are of us going out to eat with families in church on Sundays after church or going and having cookouts or Bible studies in our home or in other people's homes. These relationships made me who I am. They define me as a person. There's nothing more valuable in the world to me than the relationships that I enjoy with other followers of Christ. We've tried our best to share that with our daughter. You talk to Paisley, you know, she loves it here, but it was, it was a difficult transition for her to not be able to worship with the saints in Yorba Linda every Sunday because that's her family. You guys are becoming her family. That was her family. She doesn't have friends. She has aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas. She had, if that poor child did a DNA test, it would break her brain because she thinks she's related to everyone she goes to church with, right? This is what community looks like for her. We've tried to give her that vision and that understanding. But what I'm getting at is why. Why is that so valuable to me and to us and hopefully to you as well. Why is it that we can boast of those relationships we have in Christ and talk about them like they are the most important relationships we have? Is it just because we all get along better than people normally do? Well, you know, that's not the case, right? You ever gotten frustrated with anybody else in this room? Why are you laughing? There's some stories to be told there, I think, huh? Right? Family, right? What do you do with family? You get frustrated sometimes. You get annoyed. You fight. You bicker. You argue. It's not just that this group of people happen to find each other and, man, we get along better than any group of people ever. That's, that's not the case. It's not that we work harder at it than any other group of people. There's other communities out there that have nothing to do with faith. It exists outside of Christ that work really hard at maintaining community with one another. It's not through our own efforts that we have something special here. It is entirely because... We are in Christ. Because he has taken people who otherwise would have no reason to be together. Not that I don't like you guys. I just, what other reason would I have to be with you right now? He's taken that group of people, as distinct and unique as we are, and he's brought us together and he's made us one. And all of those things that would normally divide us, he has 
put out of the way so that we can come together in a kind of community that does not exist apart from Christ. And I'm so grateful to be a part of that kind of community. So what has reconciliation done? Well, God has taken us when we were at odds with him, when we were enemies, and he's made us his own. He's made us his family. He's made us his sons and daughters. He's put us in Christ. And now in Christ, we're not only at peace with God, but we are at peace with who else? With each other. So now we have this relationship. We have this community. What do we do with it? And here's what happens next. We see reconciliation at work through the lives of God's people, at work in this community. Ephesians chapter 4. Turn over there, just a couple chapters over. In a few weeks, we're going to spend more time in Ephesians chapter 4 because it's another one of those passages that helps us understand foundationally things about the body of Christ. But just listen to the first three verses. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Listen to what he says. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I just want you to kind of, kind of let that idea percolate in your brain today. What is the task that we've been given It's not to fabricate unity. It's not to build unity where unity didn't exist. God has done that for us through Jesus. Our job is to take the unity that he's given us and to do what? Maintain it. To maintain unity in the bond of peace is the work that God has called us to in the body of his son, Jesus Christ. That's so important for us to understand because we are not out there trying to build unity. We are here trying to preserve the unity that God has built in us and through us. So what does that look like? Well, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you want to turn over there. This is the passage that we read part of before the lesson this morning, but let me just read you the whole context. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and it says 11, let's actually skip down to verse 16. Paul says this, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. What is he talking about? He's talking about there's ways that we tend to identify people, classify people, qualify people, organize people, and divide people. We all do it. It's the fleshly way that we look at the world around us. We divide according to a whole lot of different things, right? These are the things that make us separate from one another. And upon first meeting someone, you've already, whether you're thinking about it or not, made judgment calls based on that person, based on their accent, based on their skin color, based on what they're dressed in. You know, you're making calls about their socioeconomic status, and and you're making judgments about them based on those things. Paul is saying we don't do that anymore in Christ. We don't regard anyone according to the flesh anymore. Those reasons that we have fabricated to be divided, that's not the way we look at the world anymore. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Again, it's the work of God. And gave us, now listen, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So now that he's given us the gift of reconciliation in this community of reconciled people that we belong to, we're not only called to maintain that unity that he's given us, but now we've been given a ministry 
of that reconciliation. What does that even mean? Listen to what he says. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Did you catch that? He's entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. That means our job now is, while we're maintaining this unity that he's given us, to go and boldly proclaim to the world that reconciliation exists in this community in a way that it doesn't exist in any other place on the face of the planet. That we can be so bold is to make statements like that. That this church, something special exists here. Not something we've built. Something God has given to us. And we want you to see that. We want you to see what community can look like. We want you to see what it looks like to live amongst humanity in a way where all the divisions that sin has brought about are undone and come to nothing. People are longing for that in this world. People want peace in this world. People want to find bridges. People want to build relationships. People desire community and they're looking everywhere for it. And we've been given a ministry where we can boldly proclaim to the world that we have found community here in a way that you will never be able to build outside of Christ. We can do that. We don't have to be ashamed of that. Listen to what he says. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you. This is what it looks like to carry out that ministry of reconciliation. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Ultimately, we want people to embrace the reconciliation God is offering to them through Christ, that they might be at peace with God again. But the way that we show them the appeal of that is through the community that we have here. That's the ministry we've been entrusted with. And so I hope, I hope that as you go into the community and you tell people about the church that you belong to, that it's not just, you know, you should come because our programs are great or you should come because sometimes our preacher does a halfway decent job or, you know, all these reasons sometimes we brag about the church. I want you to be telling people, listen, I want you to come and experience a community that I'm a part of that you've never seen anything like before. But if we're going to tell people that, then we need to be diligent to maintain this unity God has given us. We can't just say that while people are looking around saying, okay, I hear you, but I'm not seeing what you're talking about. This fellowship, these relationships, this community of reconciled people that we're a part of, it is alive and it's powerful. We're being built into a temple for God. God is dwelling among us when we come together. Do you understand the power that lies in a community like that? It's not just about showing up once a week, shaking hands and saying, hey, good to see you, check you out next time. I know we're busy. I know we're distracted. I know we might have already have communities that we're a part of, but this is family. And the world needs to see that as much as they need to hear it. One last thing, and then the lesson is yours. I just want to make this point because I think it's important. Sometimes it gets lost in conversations like this. We are reconciled, and we are one, and we are united, and we are family, and we are community. We're all those things, and we are still, at the same time, very unique people. Galatians 3, 27 through 29. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 
Talk about position again, right? You're in Christ through baptism. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Now stop right there. What is Paul talking about? That when Jews became Christians, they stopped being Jewish? Did all the Jews become Gentiles when they put Christ on in baptism? Did all the Gentiles become Jews when they put Christ on in baptism? No, they kept on being Jewish. They kept on being Gentiles. They kept on being defined by those beautiful things that make us different and unique in the world. They didn't give up their cultural heritage and identity, but they became one together. And you can be one while being beautifully unique at the same time. The idea that we are united is not predicated on the concept that when you walk in here, you stop being you, that we all have to be the same. I knew when the elders told me about how wonderful this church is that, you know, there were things I was going to find out along the way that would be surprising, right? One of those things was how many cowboy fans are in this congregation. I feel like that's something that should have been told to me ahead of time, right? That was not fair to spring that on me. Can you imagine a church where everyone is a Cowboys fan? Right? I I just, you know, it's it's like what Jesus said to one of the seven churches of Asia, that I know where you dwell, where Satan exists, right? I'm just saying, like, there's things that make us unique and beautiful. and I've got different tastes than you do. Right? I listen to music that some of you would hate. You listen to music that I would probably hate. We cheer for different sports teams. We have different accents. I like cheese. You might not like cheese. You know, there's just things that make us different. I'm just trying to help you understand. You don't have to stop being you because you are in Christ. He made you who you are. It's okay to celebrate those things that make us unique. That's what makes us beautiful and wonderful. You don't have to stop being Jewish. You don't have to stop being Gentile. You just have to start being one with your neighbors. The beauty of the unity that exists in Christ is is not found in the fact that he made us all the same, because then unity is easy and natural. It's that in spite of our differences, we still come together as one. There's neither slave nor free. You know, he's, he's addressing the three biggest things that divided people in that ancient world. Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female. There's neither slave nor free. Well, there still were Christians living in bondage that are going to read this letter. Do you think they're saying, well, hold on, Paul, now you're just lying to me. What are you talking about? There's people in our congregation who are still in the bondage of slavery. Go read the tiny letter of Philemon sometime and listen to how Paul addresses this. It's not that somehow Christians took up arms and fight against the oppression of the Roman government and overthrew slavery in that first generation. Christianity was at work. And it did, over time, bring about change from within the system. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about that even where those things continue to exist, they don't matter in Christ. You're still one. What about male and female? Did you come up out of the waters of baptism, a genderless being? Or when you went in, you were a boy, did you come out a boy? God doesn't do away with gender. That's not what Paul's talking about here. In a world that we live in today, especially to celebrate the distinction between genders is a beautiful thing. And there are differences between us. But in Christ, all of those things that makes boys and girls different are set aside for a oneness and a unity that can only be found in him. So I just want you to rest assured. This call to unity does not depend on you not being you any longer. You're just a new version of you. Remember what Paul said. 
we are in Christ, we are what? We are new creatures. That body of sin is done away with. And we get to walk, you remember Romans chapter 6, in what kind of life? In newness of life. A life where we are at peace with God and at peace with each other. And I hope as you reflect on that ministry of reconciliation that has been entrusted to you this morning, that you go into this world boldly proclaiming the power of the community that we enjoy with each other. I'm grateful to be a part of it. And with that, the lesson is yours. Would you stand and sing this last song? Your gift of love.